y'all, it's Betsy with the Dickie Foundation, and you're listening to Dickie's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm thrilled because my guest today is Tony McNeil. He's a retired police officer, having spent 20 years with the Southfield Police Department in Michigan. He also hosts the Off-Duty Podcast, where he humanizes the badge through lighthearted fun and informative conversations with active and retired police officers and other first responders. Thanks so much for joining me today, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Bessie, for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. So for those folks who don't know you, tell us about yourself, your law enforcement career, and how you came to be where you are now. Sure. Um, as you know, again, my name's uh, Anthony or Tony, what everyone calls me. Um, <laughs> I live in Michigan, been here pretty much my whole life. Um, married for 29 years now. Husband, father of two awesome daughters, and my little man, my little dog, uh, Chico, having ease. Um, avid <laughs> golfer, entrepreneur, you name I'm into everything. And <laughs> It sounds like retirement has done well for you then. <laughs> actually, you know what's funny? I've actually been working harder since I retired than I did when I was working. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like you said, I spent 20 years with the city of Southfield, which um, just borders Detroit. And while I was on it with the department, you know, I worked patrol for many years. I was a detective for three or four years. I was a FTO, a hostage negotiator on the SWAT team. And uh, my last five years, I ended up going inside to work uh, because of some health issues. Um, and I retired in 2013. And uh, once I get out of the out of the profession, I started doing the podcasting thing and running my other business. So, it's, yeah, so it sounds like you really are staying busy post-retirement. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's for sure. It, it's, it's keeping me going. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it doing the podcasting, but it's a lot of work. And like I said, I also have a traditional business, which is actually how I got in, into law enforcement in the first place. Well, tell me about that. What, what's your other business and how did that lead you to law enforcement? Um, I own a janitorial franchise and my whole life I've been an entrepreneur. And at the time when I got into law enforcement, I was 26, 27 years old. Um, I had went away to college for a year. I played college football for a year at a junior college here in Michigan. I ended up tearing my knee up and I you know, got depressed, started hating school. So I went back home and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I went back to work at a restaurant that I used to work in when I was in high school. And while I was there, at the time, you know, I had one year end up turning into five, six years later. And um, one day I'm working, I'm standing in the restaurant and the then chief of police, new chief of police uh, comes into the restaurant to introduce himself to the owner. Well, I just happened to be standing up front. And when he walks in, well, he and I start a conversation as he's waiting on the owner to come up. And he asked me, have you ever thought about going into law enforcement? And when he said that, like I said, up to that point, all I wanted to do was start a business, but I didn't have the resources or the or anything to get started. I was 25, 26 years old at the time. And when he said that, my first thought was, heck no, I never thought about being a police, but that's how I can get the money I need to start my business. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, six months later, I, I, I went and tested and I finished number three on the test and I was in the academy you know, six months later, and I end up starting the business uh, about a, 
probably about a year or so after I got on the job. I started the business and I ended up leaving after three years on the job because I got the business up and going and it was doing very well. Then I was gone for about 14, 15 months and the chief calls me and asked me if I wanted to come back to work. And I was like, sure. So I went back to work, kept the business going, still have the business today. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> you never hear anyone say they went into law enforcement to make money. But they, <laughs> that, that's what you did. All right. I like that. <laughs> All right. So so you, you had a number of different roles uh, with the department. What was the best thing about, be, about being a police officer there? Just meeting the different people. Um, like I say, Southfield was, uh, it was 27 square miles. When I started the department, we were a 160 man and woman department. Um, we were averaging probably about 60, 70,000 runs a month or yeah, a, a, a month and a year, I'm sorry. And when I left the department, we were down to like 99 officers. Mm-hmm. And I think the run count had gone up to over 120,000 a year. Wow. So yeah (laughs) that'll keep you busy (laughs) yeah and you know it was i just really enjoy everything about the job but the the biggest thing for me was the people just meeting the different people from all walks of life and just having an impact on people you know whether that unfortunately sometimes that was negative um but just having that opportunity to to have some type of impact and interaction with just so many different people. That's, that's very cool. So, I mean, and again, you had a whole bunch of different rules. What did you find the most misunderstood thing was about law enforcement? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a harder time in, in our country's history to be, be in law enforcement than right now, but what did you find to be the most consistently misunderstood thing? Um, I think a lot of it, is what I call the CIS syndrome. And basically what that is, is that people look at TV shows and <laughs> they think that police work, everything is done in 30 minute increments. <laughs> you know, they, they, they think crimes are solved in 30 minutes. They think that, you know, we have all the answers to everything. I'll, I'll never forget I, when I was a detective, um, I worked commercial um, breaking and entries, B&Es. And I had a, break in at a business and it was all on camera but obviously you know we we had it on camera but nobody knew who the person was in the video and i'll never forget the business owner asked me well don't you guys have face recognition like no (laughs) (laughs) i know it's it's so funny i mean even like if you happen to be on your you know neighborhood's next door people are like well i have a video of the guy who stole my amazon package and it's like well that that won't help you (laughs) I mean, yeah. Now you know who it is, but you have no idea who that is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, but that was probably one of the things that I found was part of the mis- most understood was uh, just that people just had unrealistic realistic expectations and didn't exactly know what we did as police officers. So you're saying that TV isn't just real life? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Even the reality TV, like Dallas Swat, it's not real. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what would you tell tell, tell someone who was interested in, in following in your footsteps and going into law enforcement? If, if one of your daughters said, Dad, I think I'm going to go into policing. Honestly, in today's climate, if it was my children, I would tell them no. Um, 
I love the profession, don't get me wrong. I think it's one of the greatest professions that anyone can do. But given the climate that we are in today, I don't think I would want my children to work in that profession. Um, taking my kids out of it, if you know, I, I have a close friend whose son is, he just graduated from the academy. And, you know, my advice to him was, you're going into a profession where you are going to see things that you've never seen before. You're going to in encounter people that you never thought that you would encounter. You're going to have emotions and experiences that you never had before. And it can become overwhelming at times. So my advice to him was, first of all, don't be afraid to speak out when you need to because you are going to be an emotional wreck at times. And we as police officers, we try to hold it in and, and keep the, 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 the brave, strong face up. But stuff happens to us. And if we don't get help for it, you know, it, it can really tear us apart. I mean, we are human. And I think a lot of times we forget that. And we want to solve everybody else's problems. But, you know, sometimes we have our own problems. And, I, and I'll tell you a, a, a real quick story. My last five years, I, I had some health issues and I had to go inside to work the front desk, which I absolutely hated. It changed me as a person. I started hating people. I was very cynical. And I'll never forget that there was, for some reason, there was this common practice where you would have parents of young kids who would bring their children in and they would tell you that they can't control them. I'm done with them. Do whatever you want to do with them. And I'll never forget this this one day um, this, this, this lady comes in. Well, actually, let me let me back up for a second. This is a, a, that's a whole different other story. But I was working the front desk. It was a Sunday. Like I said, I was having a, I was having I hated up there. I'm having a bad day. And this Sunday I go in and I tell myself, OK, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to enjoy this day. It's going to be positive. Well, that went out the window about 10 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> this gentleman comes in and he and I get into it. Goes on for about 15 minutes or so. He goes about his business and I'm just sitting there just fuming. And about 20 minutes later, 20, 30 minutes later, this lady comes in unrelated to make an accident report. And I, she steps up to the window and I say, can I help you? And she says to me, well, I was coming to make an accident report, but you just looked at me like, what the blank do you want? <laughs> and the funny thing about it is she was absolutely right. And this ties into what I was just saying about us carrying it, trying to be strong and not dealing with things. Mentally, I was still dealing with the knucklehead from 30 minutes ago. And I never dealt with that emotion to suppress it. So when she came in, she got the blunt of it. And now I had to deal with that citizen's complaint. You know, and I think anyone going into this profession, you have to remember that every interaction that you have leaves an impression. And those impressions can be good, bad or otherwise. So that would be my advice to someone. Just remember, if you're going to go into this profession, Take care of yourself because, yes, we are out there taking on the world and solving everybody else's problems, but we also have our own problems, and sometimes we don't like to share those problems with other people. 
Well, and you were saying oh, that, that parents would bring their children in when they were misbehaving. And, and so they, they, they bring, bring them to the station and they say, well, here, it's your problem now. I mean, this, is, this isn't like dropping a, a small child, like, a, like a baby off if they can't handle it as a safe place. This is, this is a child. Yeah, I think the youngest child I had come in was five years old. Um, mom just couldn't, she didn't know what to do with him anymore. And she was, she just had it and she brought him into the police station. But you know, it's, it's, it's funny how things happen in your life. Because like I said, I ended up in that position because of some health issues and I absolutely hated it. But it, but Betsy, I, I, I kid you not, it wasn't until the last day that I was working that I realized why God put me in that position because Eight to nine months prior to me retiring, a lady comes in with her 12-year-old son. It's her, her son, and her mother. And he was kind of a, a, a big kid for 12 years old. And I was having one of my days. I was having a rotten day. And mom, you know, same story. I can't control him. He hits me. He hits my mom. I'm done with him. You do whatever you want to do with him. So I was having a bad day, like I said. And I took this kid aside. And I look at him and I say, hit me. And he looks at me and he clenches his fist. He starts crying. And I said, go ahead, swing. I'm going to give you one swing, then I'm going to wear your behind out. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that wasn't the appropriate thing to do. But he and I end up having to talk for about 30 minutes. And it was a typical story. You know, there was no male figure in his life. Mom was doing the best that she could, but he was at that age now where he was starting to run with the wrong people and being influenced by the wrong people. And all of that stuff was coming out at home. So we talked about 30 minutes. The last thing I said to him before they left was, look, I don't know you. You don't know me. But if I get an inkling that you put your hands on another human being, I will personally track you down and beat your you know what. That was the last thing I said to him. And, and you never heard from him again. He 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 got on the straight and narrow then. <laughs> well, I actually I did hear from him again, and this was the last day that I was on the job. They were having a a coffee and cake reception for me at the at the station, and he and his mom came in, and his mom says, "I have a card I want to give you, and can I give you a hug?" and she gives me the card. I read the card and she hugs me and she says, I just want to let you know that since that day that you spoke to my son, he has been a different child. And that that it was that moment I realized why I withdraw my health issues and those five years of hell was for that moment, you know, because that kid turned his life around. He's now in college. Um, he was doing terrible in school and, you know, and all of that made it worth it. So. How incredible. Yeah, I mean, you, you really, you, you changed, changed his life. You, I mean, you changed that family's trajectory that way. Yeah. 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 And that was, like I say, I, I, I went through a lot during those five years, but that moment made it all worth it. <laughs> well, so you said you, you spent, you spent a lot of time, you know, not, at, not at the front desk and out there. When you think about some of the craziest moments that you had in your law enforcement career, what, what do what do you think of? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, and here's the funny thing. I was kind of what they call a uh, blank magnet. So, <laughs> so if there was something terrible going on, it was going to find me. <laughs> and I, I, I kid you not, I could tell you stories after story, but I was involved in an officer-related shooting. And this was probably one of the 
I don't want to, it was probably one of the harshest stories, um, you know, things that I had to, had to deal with, but we, I'm working one night, I worked midnights for a long time, and there's a sergeant stopped at a red, at a traffic light, car pulls up next to him, says that it's a husband and wife, says that the car behind him just shot at them on the freeway, so he calls it out, um, I'm about two miles away, by the time I get there, there was two other officers that had arrived, and they were conducting what is called a felony stop. Well, as I'm approaching, I could see that the person in the car still had their foot on the brake. So I knew they were going to take off. And sure enough, he takes off just as I'm pulling up. And I end up becoming the primary car in the pursuit. We're going about 80 miles an hour down this three-lane road. It was, it was Sunday night. It had just finished raining. There was no, no traffic out or anything. Um, but after about two miles into the pursuit, the suspect slows down from about 80 to about 40. And when he did that, I made intentional contact with him and his car spun out and went up into the median and my car veered off and, and hit the curb right in front of his. And as I'm sitting in the car, he's behind me. I could hear his engine revving and his tires spinning. So I knew he was going to come off the curb and try to off the median and try to hit and try to ram into my car. And so as he's coming off, I jump out. I pull my, my, my service uh, revolver or my, my service uh, weapon and I fire three shots. The first one goes through the windshield and he turns to go northbound in the southbound lanes of traffic. And as he's turning, I end up firing two more shots, which went through the door. They both end up hitting him. And he turns to go southbound like or northbound, like I said, in the, in the southbound lanes of traffic. And the other cars that were in the pursuit, they all had to fall back because it had, it, like I said, it had just finished raining. And as we were going 80 miles an hour, all that spray was going up and they couldn't see, so they had to fall back. And now he's driving head on into them. He sees them coming. So he turns up into this shopping mall parking lot and they just play ping pong with him from there. And, you know, my car wouldn't stall. It had stalled. It wouldn't start back up. And they were probably a couple of blocks away from where I was at. And as I'm running up, they're pulling him out the car and I can hear him screaming. I've been shot. I've been shot. And, you know, no one believed he was shot because no one knew shots were fired. So, so but he ended up going to jail and he was charged with two counts of um, attempted murder on the on the two victims and felonious assault on me and all kinds of other things. But that was that was that was it was tough to deal with that. But at the same time. You know, people ask me, did I, how do I feel from it, from having to, you know, shoot someone? And honestly, I didn't feel bad because someone that's trying to take either my life or another person's life, I'm going to do what I need to do, you know, and I'm not going to allow guilt to get in the way of that because I'm doing my job and my job is to protect people. And this person is out there doing everything he can to make sure that these people are, are harmed. So I did not feel any type of way after that incident happened. Um, you know, I know it affects a lot of guys when, when they get involved in something like that. But it, it didn't. I was different. I was I was a different kind of cop. I had a different mentality when it came to things like that. There, there's so many stories I could tell you, Betsy. I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, just 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 crazy things. I, that's the one thing I wish I would have done was kept a diary during my during my twenty years because, like I say, I was just a you know what magnet. If it was something bad nearby, it was gonna find me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Well, so so there there were a lot of crazy experiences. Is there an experience that you think about look back at that maybe really touched your heart or changed how you do things? Um, the, the one thing that I was real, I'm real good at departmentalizing things. So a lot of the things on the job never really affected me personally, except for one time. And we had a call and this was years ago, but there was a young lady in her twenties. She went to her hair salon. She had a, I think the kids were, I want to say like two and three or something some, they were very young kids i can't remember their exact age but it was the hottest day of the year and she left the kids in the car as she's inside getting her hair done and they end up you know passing from 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 the heat in the car and i'll never forget seeing their handprints on the window you can just tell they were trying to pull those windows down and that's something that's that's stays with me that's something that's the only thing on the job that ever touched me like that because i can just imagine what these little kids were just trying to get out of that car you know what they were going through you know so that's that's one of the that's the only thing that ever really affected me emotionally like that yeah, that that's that that's very understandable. How that tragic? Wow. Um, yeah, uh, hard hard to switch gears after that. Um, <laughs> but so 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 let let's talk about the off duty podcast and what it what it, that's about and really where it came from for you. Sure, um, the podcast in in twenty nineteen, I came up with this idea to do a TV show. And the show was to interview police officers and get to know them on a personal level. Well, it was really hard to get officers to go on camera and talk about themselves. Hmm. And 2020 hit. And we all know what happened in 2020. (laughs) So that idea went out the window. And I had just started getting into listening to podcasts and getting on Instagram and all this stuff. And. While I was on Instagram, I started noticing what I call Instagram cops. These were people that were not, you know, put, not afraid to put themselves out there. So I started thinking, hmm, maybe I could start a podcast and start interviewing some of these people because, you know, heck, they're not afraid to put themselves out there. They don't really have to go on camera. You know, it's just an audio deal. And I did my first episode in February of 2020. And now we're we're 70 episodes in, and I'm happy to say that the podcast has constantly be growing, been growing. We're one of the top law enforcement podcasts uh, around. We're constantly in, in Apple Podcasts top 100 and 150, and and everything is ranking around the world. I mean, I it's I'm, I'm really happy. It's it's been fun, and the whole point of the podcast again is to show the human side to officers. 
and get to know the officers on a personal level. You know, I don't really get into politics and tactics and departments and all that thing because there's enough departments or enough podcasts out there that cover those things. But I really wanted the podcast to focus on the men and women. And it's kind of cool the way I did it because I, I came up with this format to make it really fun and lighthearted. And I, I have different segments of the, of the podcast. The first segment is what I call Dig Deeper. And this is where I, I go into my guest social media and I'll find certain posts to craft questions around. And, you know, then they, they you know, respond to the questions. And I, the, the next segment is what I call Random Seven. Just seven totally off-the-wall questions that have nothing to necessarily do with law enforcement. And the last part is like my rapid fire round. But I, I do that because there are questions that you don't hear on a police podcast. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is to get you to get a little bit of insight into that person as a human being. That's the whole point of it. And the guests have a lot of fun when they when they come on the podcast. So <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of work, like I said, but you know, I, I really enjoy it. So what's your favorite randomly generated question you've gotten to ask? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think one of my favorite questions is, if your spouse or significant other went to prison, would you wait for them? <laughs> All right. So, so, Tony, would you wait for your wife? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> there you go there you go that's how you make it to your 30 marriage i love that <laughs> well so i think it's really interesting that you that you're talking about kind of sharing the stories and, and humanizing um first responders I, I think sharing those stories is really important particularly when you look at a time like now because a lot of people their interactions with particularly with police officers are on very bad days <laughs> nobody's having a great day and says let me call 911 and let them know about it um and and so i, I think that that's a really interesting way uh, of trying to to humanize folks because again not everyone has a police officer or two that are friends that they're friends with and so um i i think it's it's a neat way that you're trying to to make sure that people are like oh this is a police officer just like me yeah or, yeah. or, may, or maybe a little different than me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do love that you're sharing their stories and, and, and you have helped a lot of people over your career. So who are two or three people who've really helped you and, and changed things for you? I would have to say one would definitely be my wife. Um, she's changed me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I had a lot of bad habits, procrastination and things like that. And you know, she's quick to point those things out. <laughs> <laughs> Wives are great, great like that. <laughs> and try to get me to correct those things. Um, another person would be, uh, I had mentioned earlier that I have a friend whose son just entered the profession. Well, it would be his dad who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. He was like my second father. Um and that's that. I would say that's probably it. In terms of the, the profession, there really wasn't any one person that I had as a mentor or anything like that. I I often found myself in that role during my twenty years, believe it or not, um, with younger officers, and that was why I became an FTO because I, I I wanted that opportunity to you know I felt like I was a good cop and I wanted to take some of the things that I had learned and instilled in, you know, someone that was just coming on the job, you know, so I don't, I don't think there's anyone in particular that I could say is in terms of 
the profession itself, but just outside of the work, I would, I would definitely say, you know, my, my, my best friend's dad and my, and my wife. Those are good people. So what, what would you say, whether it was something you've learned, you know, professionally in law enforcement or in your other business or just in life, what do you think the most important thing is you've learned to date? You still have a lot, you still have a lot of years ahead of you, but what, what's the most important thing, life lesson you'd pass on? Um, life is short. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it. If there's something you want to do, go do it. Don't put off. I had a cousin pass away last year. He's 49 years old. And that I had, you know, unfortunately we had a lot of deaths in the family last year, um, due to COVID and some other things. And it just showed me that life is short. If there's something you want to do, go do it. Don't, because we're not, we know we're not promised tomorrow. And I know this sounds cliche, but it's true. You know, life is, is precious, it's short. Live it to its fullest, you know, and try to make every day like it's your, live every day like it's your last day. Absolutely. Nobody ever on their deathbed has said, gosh, I wish I worked more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So at the end of our interviews, we always bring it back to Dickies. And I'm sorry. I know we've got lots of Dickies up there in Michigan. So I've got to ask favorite Dickies meat, favorite Dickies side. Oh, ribs all day. Mac and cheese. <laughs> all right. So, so we like, just like your lightning round, we finish, we always finish up with a lightning round. So I'm going to give you two choices and you're going to give me your favorite. Okay. All right. Barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Barbecue. Sweet or unsweet tea? Sweet. Okay, that's great. You're up north and you still pick sweet tea. I love that. <laughs> All right, chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Sliced. Sauce or no sauce? Oh, gotta have sauce. Brisket or pulled pork? Ooh. I'm gonna say brisket. And last but not least, because I think I know the answer, ribs or wings? one. <laughs> Guess what? You can get a two meat plate and have both. <laughs> if I had to choose, it would probably be probably be ribs. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a good choice. That's my choice too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My guest today has been Anthony McNeil. If you like our podcast and want to hear more of his great stories, make sure to check out the Off-Duty Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today, Tony. Yes. Thank you again for having me on there and everyone stay safe. Thanks. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.